Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Monkey Marketing Podcast. This is the podcast when we talk uh, with good people doing good stuff for good people. Those people can be entrepreneurs, marketing professionals, people in sales, or even designers. So today I have, uh, I have the pleasure to, to talk with, uh, with somebody that uh, is quite interesting. Uh, with Lorena and I won't say much about her. Uh, I, I want her to, to tell you a little bit about herself. So Lorena, be my guest. Nemanja, you're too kind. Uh, but thank you. Thank you for having me here. I am Lorena Morales, indeed. Uh, Mexican, uh, based in the Bay Area for the past nine and something years. I, I lived in, in New York for, for a little while as well. Uh, so currently I am the VP of marketing at the first revenue operations company called GoNimbly, uh, headquartered here in San Francisco with offices in Chicago and New York. So that's what I am currently doing. But as uh, Nemanja said, my background is very, very broad. So I think this guy is going to get me into the, into the weeds uh, to tell you a little bit more about like what makes me who I am today. It's, it's quite interesting that, uh, that you mentioned like Mexico. Uh, these days, uh, they're, they're, I think, yeah, wife and husband, they're both photographers, very good ones, and they are uh, in Mexico and shooting some amazing photographs like under the water in the caves. And it's kind of like amazing. And so I've been watching their stories these days and kind of like, yeah, I need to, I need to visit Mexico. It's about time. Yeah, and imagine, do you think that's painful for you? Imagine for me, like watching everyone is going to Mexico except me. I don't think that's fair. There's something going on there that, that I need to fix. But uh, yeah, Mexico, is, it's beautiful. Not only like the places that most people know, but uh, just in general, it's a city full of culture. Uh, and the people, it's probably what I miss the most. Um, the culture, the museums. We are the second culinary city after New York and people don't know that. So that's an example for, for just, just to start. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice food is something that I'm familiar here in, in Serbia, a bit different food, but, but also like we, we inherited everything from everyone, like 500 years under the, the Turkish imperia at the time yeah. and then all the others. So, so we got all the flavors here <laughs> in the center of the Balkans and it's kind of, Interesting. So let's talk about about the the childhood. How did you grow up? How was growing up in in Mexico, right? Oh, I think you're out of every single podcast podcast that I've been. You're the the, the first one asking me very very personal stuff. Uh, nobody has ever asked about my upbringing or anything. So that's why I thought this podcast was gonna be unique. Um, Nemanja, I, I, I mean, I have to, to be super honest. Uh, I've been very, very lucky in my life. Uh, and with that, what I mean by that is I was born and raised in a very Mexican traditional family, uh, very Catholic, very, uh, with very cemented values in terms of what does work means, what does life means, what does love mean. And I am the youngest of three siblings, um, so it, it, I think it's it's a it's a great number because then you don't have all the attention of your parents, which 
I would drive crazy because I am a I am an Enneagram type five. I am super introverted. I am I can't deal with people a lot. I know I'm a marketer. We'll we'll talk about that later. But anyways, uh, my my upbringing was honestly it it was bittersweet as 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 everyone in some senses. At school, I was always very very good. Uh, unfortunately, kids are mean. Uh, they are gonna bother you for some reason or another uh, and I was actually very very um, tiny I was tiny 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 I was super skinny uh, today if you could meet me in person you would be like what because I am actually uh, very tall now for the Mexican standard and uh, and I was a little a lot bullied in in school but uh, my family was everything to me I'm, I'm very lucky that I was raised in that decade because for me, it ended in, in my house, right? Like it was like, okay, kids are mean with me at school, but that has an end. And then I come home with a very loving mother, especially. Uh, my grandparents used to live across the street. Uh, I, I, I had my siblings, very, very protective, all of them until today. Oh my God, they are super protective. I am, I am the first one that left um, home. And uh, so, so I think I, I feel for other kids right now with, with the entire movement of social media and everything, I think it never stops. If you have the, 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 the unfortunately, the, the situation where kids are bothering or something, I feel like right now there is no escape from that. For me, it was, let's say it was part of life, but the family that I, that I got and the people believing in me and in my capacities, since I was very, very young, I think inserted a chip in my mind that made me believe that I could become someone in life. And um, my grandparents is the, the, the same, very successful people. I come from, from people that understand success, not only in business, but in family. Uh, they stayed married for, I don't know, like more than 40 something years. My parents now are gonna turn like, uh, I think 30, 30 something years together. So that's what I understand uh, uh, of life, you know? And that's what I try to make out of the one that I have now as an adult. Sounds like, like a good heritage to have. Like uh, <laughs> growing up, it seems kind of cool. Like uh, I also, when I think, look back and look at my childhood, it, I'm kind of like, didn't have much trouble. It was all nice. Like I was playing basketball and those kind of things, but it was all because I was like lulled in this, in this environment. But when I look outside and I look out from this distance, like we couldn't travel outside of Serbia at the time. Like uh, in 99, when I was like uh, just entering the high school, like we were bombed, like all kinds of things, but like it was the time for me when I played basketball the most, like had fun with friends. We didn't go to school. I didn't even have the exam to enter the high school. They just looked at my previous grades and that's it. So it was kind of, kind of interesting. Yeah, for, for me, grades uh, were never a problem, but they are, they are needed in Mexico, let me tell you. Like you they, they look at your grades in order to pass to the next year. Uh, but school was, was never a problem. And, and I think it's a, it's, a, it's a heritage that I carry until today. Uh, I believe in education more than anything in this life. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I, believe, I believe in education too, at least maybe not in, in the formal one. 
like it's funny when I look back, like um, I studied, studied marketing, but I dropped out because I didn't learn anything about marketing. So I moved the other way. Uh, my background first 10 years working was in uh, non-governmental sector. I was the youth worker, I fight for youth. I fight to save uh, mountain villages from dying, like all kinds of things. I was wow. the facilitator and educated in the European Union programs, like all kinds of things. And then I learned all kind of different things. And when I started to work finally in like marketing agency based in Canada, they asked me, what do you know about marketing? I said, I know just enough to start. I didn't know like SEO stuff and those kind of things, but I learned that and in like 13 months, I became the GM of that agency of like 15 people at the time. Of course, of course, uh, you have the talents. I, I mean, if you, the people give you the right opportunity, there's no reason why you shouldn't succeed. Exactly, exactly. I just needed a chance to show the things that I learned. Exactly. And I didn't even know that I learned those things until I got mm -hmm. the chance in the right atmosphere to, to show it. So tell me how, how it was for you, like your first job, that kind of experience. How was that? Where was that actually? Again, very, very fortunate to, to have opportunities when a lot of Mexicans don't. Uh, usually the, the way it works in Mexico is when you're in college, um, uh, the, 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 the system education, uh, in Mexico, it's, it's unfortunately, I mean, we have one of the best universities in, in Latin America, uh, and it's public, but it's very, very hard to get in. Um, otherwise your options are, uh, private universities that of course are investments, uh, uh, from, from the, from the family members to, to the, to the student and the way it works is uh, at the middle of your of your bachelor's or college you start working to start like growing that path unfortunately or luckily i don't know i think for me it was luck uh, uh, or i was just too smart uh, for my age i decided to go into product uh, uh, design so i started industrial design and it was a career that didn't really allow me to work because i was in the um, like in the room of the machines, I don't know how, how to call it in the, in the workshops. Um, from literally I had classes from 7 p.m. until 10 p.m. at night. So, uh, and do, doing stuff. So I think that the good thing for me is that my, my career taught me to literally second semester, we were already producing things and functional things. So for example, we would like, I created like a lamp and like, uh, um, and, 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 and like furniture for the office and like other weird things that nobody needs to know, but like things that actually function from very early stages on your career. Um, so I didn't work as soon as others, for example, uh, maybe my siblings started their, their working careers earlier than me. And as soon as I graduated, I realized almost, almost like you, that there was this something inside me that I felt, I've always felt so fortunate that it's my job and almost my responsibility to give back a little bit. So my first job, even though my father doesn't count that asset because I was a volunteer, they didn't pay me anything. And I was actually paying a lot of parking and a lot of uh, gasoline, et cetera. But I was a volunteer for uh, Oxfam GB for a while. Um, when the earthquake in Chile hit, um, I was in charge of like making sure that the people that were gonna go to, to help like the first, um, 
the, the first line uh, people that they would send, they would be prepared with the right information, etc. And I felt in love with NGOs. I felt in love with Habitat uh, for Humanity. I, I, I spent a lot of my time in there, uh, both in Mexico, Argentina, etc. And the uh, job was actually with a guy that was um, producing industrial kitchens, uh, which was boring as AF. So that's when I said, okay, I know how to produce pretty much anything. I know how to do things. I know how to do services. Um, now what? I don't know how to sell them. And Mexico is not a, it's not a country that lives by design. By, by that moment, I was already, I, I had came back from Argentina and Argentina, uh, there's a lot of, for example, um, fashion design, a lot, a lot of them. And there's a lot of independent artists uh, in, in the streets, in like you, you see art and you, and they live by that. And that was not the, 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 the scene uh, in Mexico back, back in those years. Now it's an entirely different picture, but back then for me, it was so hard to, to see that the things that I studied and the things that I could actually provide to the world, the opportunities were minimal in my country. So I decided to go further and pursue graduate education. So I do believe in formal education a lot. I am about to, I just actually applied to my PhD. I have also two master's degrees here in the US. So I, I just, I am a, I'm the eternal student. It's not like Peter Pan, but uh, uh, I think I'm gonna be studying all my life. Yeah, I think I think we all are. That's that's something we can't avoid if we want to like stay relevant today. Like everything is changing so fast, and if we aren't up to it, well, we will be like easily um, slip to the sides. Right? <laughs> yeah. This is just like uh, being able to uh, to adapt and learning to love the changes. I think those are. Two of the most important things now uh, to just to survive not to like do anything uh, extraordinary but to survive yep exactly and so tell me um, what happened later how did you actually ended up where you are right now uh, yeah this is the part where, where I, I want to tell you my my challenges and my empowerment uh, stories I get it I do have some on my on my sleeve. Um, I would say, um, Nemanja, that coming to the U.S. was life changing because here again you have someone um, fortunate in every sense with a with a with a with a good family with 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 good people surrounding me uh, with enough friends. I've never been super social, but like a, a good a good amount of friends. Um, and then I go crazy and I decide to pack my things, come to the U.S., being the youngest, uh, without knowing anyone. And the thing with Mexico is like, yeah, you go to bilingual schools, uh, sometimes trilingual. But the thing is, if you don't travel enough or if, you, if, you're, if your school doesn't force the students to speak the language, of course you lose it. And by the time I, I of course, I, I had to do, in order to pursue my first master's degree, um, I had to do the GMAT and the GRE, which are exams that 
just in general Latin America, not only Mexicans, but in general Latin America, rates are very, very low. Like we are in the lowest uh, of the scale because of course Asia and uh, other countries are, the way they, they, they understand um, problems and math and those things, um, of course they, they kill us. So it was very hard for me, one, to make it, uh, here to come and say like here are my results I am capable of, of staying here and I think secondly I'm gonna fall into the cliche of being an immigrant but uh no no I don't think this is what what, what your audience is gonna be expecting because I, I tend to to try not to talk about the cliche of the immigrant in the U.S. My problem was a little severe and was very different from what I've seen in other in other um, Mexicans, for example, because I I've been diagnosed with anxiety since I'm very little, and that shows in some areas of my body, and it showed in early stages as a stutter. So when I talked, it was a problem. Uh, now imagine I come here and I don't even talk. But I mean, I know English because I since since age three I went to bilingual schools, so I know the nouns and I know the sentences and I know the language. I can say I can I can speak English, but you put me in in an international school where you are talking business cases and, and all these things. And then my career exploded after that. I became manager very, very fast and people trusted me very fast. So I needed to push myself five times more in order to, to, to not disappoint these people because also my, my visa was in their hands. Um, so I think my biggest challenge was language it was a it was a language barrier not only in the sense that it wasn't my my mother my my, my what do they say motherhood language but uh or my native language but it was also with a stutter so i had to to take language therapy and language classes while i was here in the u.s in order uh, to succeed and then i i've always been a self um a self learner so i also did a lot of work by myself without anyone knowing not even my closest friends because you you like your insecurities become kind of your secrets right and and i believe you need to keep yourself a little mysterious to every single person in the world because otherwise what makes you interesting like people need to keep finding things that surprise them about you so i, th I think that was my my biggest challenge along my career luckily today um, I overpassed that. It, the stutter comes, still comes. It's something that is going to be with me all my life, but it comes in certain situations and it's triggered by certain things that I know how to control now. And uh, funny enough, I ended up in marketing, talking <laughs> to a lot of people and doing like a lot of podcasts. And so I had to find a, to, to find a way and, and I think I did. And I, I would say that that has been my, my biggest challenge. It's it's kind of interesting, like um, I think a month ago, something like that, I was talking with, with a friend who, who told me like, how come you're, you're like so confident talking in English and all those kind of things? Uh, I said, I was always confident. I didn't always know all the, the words to come up with the sentences, like everything else. And, and I, I showed them the, the video. There's actually a video of my per first presentation in English, uploaded uh -huh. online on YouTube. I think it 
2011, 12, maybe 13, I don't know, something like that. But uh, I knew English just enough to transfer the, the message and people can like actually figure out the story and everything. And it was about uh, collectivism. I used like the, the word hogs, the word hogs as, as examples, like when people hang out online, create a group event, they say they, they are going actually, but nobody actually knows how the word pig looks like. They didn't go out to the forest, spend some time together, you know, like actually saw the pigs and then go back to the internet to talk about it. Uh, and it was interesting because the presentation was just before the lunch, I was the last one. And I asked the people, uh, do you want me to continue talking something else? And they say, yes. And uh, like, so I told them the story about activism, being an active, keeping the child in you. And uh, like, it was the story that, I don't know, I heard it somewhere, but I wanted to take this chance, like to, to try to tell the story. And it was like, my imaginary girlfriend. So we met as we were young, then she moved away, then like, but every part of the story is like, uh, what do you think she did? And as on the end is, what do you think that I did? What do you think that happened? And they got so attached to it, then like, there were like 60 people. Uh, I received a huge applause, and even today, some of them don't believe me that it was imaginary girlfriend. Like, uh, and wow. it's, it's funny that the girl who was recording it with a phone just accidentally entered and started to record because she saw that the audience was uh, interested in that. And it was the, like the youth leaders uh, from the Southeast Europe uh, in, in the audience. And it's kind of interesting. And I'm glad that I have that, that recording so I can show the people, okay, I, I was brave enough. I didn't know everything, but I was brave enough to just get over there and start talking about things. You know, I'm gonna look, I'm gonna take notes right now and I'm gonna look for, for that video. You know that, right? Uh, I, need, I need to see that. It sounds like something that I need to see like on my- on my Yeah, yeah, I'll send it over. Uh, you, 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 I will just, uh, I will also edit in the, in the links of the episode. <laughs> just for the reference. I love it. I, I love talking to people that just jump. Uh, where you're gonna fall? Who the fuck knows? No, nobody knows that. Nobody has that answer. But if you don't, if you don't even dare, that's when you lose. Like, um, it's it's like everything in life. If you if you don't even try, you already like you 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 already have fifty percent of chance of winning at everything. Why couldn't you do it? Like the 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 the, the possibilities are really high. So I just, I don't get it when people tell me like, oh, uh, I don't think I can, or I, I am afraid that this is gonna fail. Well, and so what? I don't get it. But uh, anyways, I, I love your story, um, Nemaja. Seriously, I love it and I'm gonna find it out or you're gonna send it, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an interesting setup and everything, like old communism uh, conference hall. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about, about marketing, about sales. So um, what I tend to ask people is like, what are some examples of like bad marketing that they are seeing over there? Because I'm seeing it a lot and I don't like to be the only one talking about it. So that's why I ask other people to tell me what are some things that they are seeing. Ah, oof, that's a good one. For me, that's the thing. I am very peculiar peculiar in the things that I read, 
in the things that I buy and in the things that I, that I, that I have in my space. And what it bothers me, and I think th this is a general thing, like it, it's not a Lorena thing. The consumer now has become this very uh, particular buyer where you don't expect less than exactly the thing that you had in your mind at the time that you had in your mind, at the price that you wanted to spend. So we became kind of a little um, arrogant in, in, in that sense. And my, my, my bothering is at the stage that we are um, in advertising, for example, why on earth am I still receiving emails or, uh, or posts in Instagram about men's clothes? It's like, that bothers me. It really does bother me because it's like you have the technology right now to know that I am not a, a, a male, that I'm never going to be buying into your product. Why are you wasting valuable time for another brand that could get me in five seconds because, I mean, I am a, a marketer. I am going to fall for marketing every single time for good marketing. Oh my God, you should see me at Whole Foods. Like I buy enormous amount of things that, I mean, I, I, will, I always consume them because I don't waste food. But uh, if you would see me at, at Whole Foods, it's like, if it's a good brand, I'm going to give you my, 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 my vote of confidence and I'm going to give it a try. But what bothers me and what it's wrong with marketing is these huge companies or small companies by, by that matter that are still targeting the wrong audience. Why are you not obsessed about your customer? Why are you not obsessed about what they like, what they think, what they don't like, their pains? That's what defines marketing at the end. It was always like that. It was just a scheme uh, back in the 60s, 70s, because you didn't have the information. It's okay, it was okay. Let's throw a bunch of things to the wall and see what sticks. But today, you don't have that. that you, you, you must not do that because you have the, every single data point that you need to the point that it's creepy. So stop advertising the wrong people with the, with the wrong products or the, or the, or the wrong messaging. That's, see, this is where I get passion. You, you don't want to see me in the Super Bowl because, oh my God, the ads. It's, I, don't, I don't even understand football. I don't like it. I'm never going to be a sportswoman. But oh boy, the ads. That's my jam. That's where I'm like, everyone shut up. I need to see this. I need to understand this. Um, so it's, yeah, that's a, that's a funny thing about me. I, I was thinking these days uh, of how it would look like if we take all uh, now the, the best uh, Christmas commercials, like Coca-Cola, Milka, oh. all those interesting, and take them from B2C to the B2B. Imagine like yeah. foggy, misty B2B. Ooh, and involving emo emotions. Red Bull does a freaking fantastic work in every single thing they do. It's beautiful. Even, even you know what? People laugh, laugh about me, but Geico, the insurance company, I, am, I have something with Geico. And they are so basic. Like their advertising is so basic. Their messaging is so basic. And I think that's what obsesses me. In design, the most hard thing to do is to make things simple. Because people think, oh, there was no work uh, like behind that. But it's actually all the opposite. That the, be the best things in life and in design and in art are the simplest things. And when I, when I still see Geico, it cracks me. And, and I'm obsessed with the little uh, um, 
um, pre tour. Oh my, oh my God, it's it's fantastic. And yeah, the examples that you mentioned, Coca Cola has been able to tropicalize to every single country that they have penetrated, and they connect with the culture, with the people, with yeah. I, I don't agree. Like the product, we can have a conversation about that for a million years. But if they do something right, is is marketing. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's kind of like interesting thing all around. Uh, I, I was talking and it was like day after yesterday with, with Piplaya about message market fit and all those kind of things. Like, so we were uh -huh. talking about Ikea, about uh, oh, uh, Peloton, about all kind of uh, other brands that are having something, something unique. Like we are against Trump. Let's let's put that we are for the ecology. Let's put that like IKEA. Nobody is creative as we are when it comes to the furniture and all those kind of things. And I always remember that example from uh, IKEA. They what they have done. Uh, I think a few years ago, they name all uh, parts of the furniture like the couch, like the bed, everything. They name it uh, for their use. Like the couch wasn't the couch. It was the place when uh, a wife goes to sleep when husband snores. Like those <laughs> kind of things. And it was like fantastic. When you, when you Google wow. those things and you find it in the search, that's what it says. Like, and and yeah. you Google like uh, how to, snap, to stop my husband from snoring. And then you, <laughs> this is the couch for you. They, they, they are brilliant and they, they started like they, they were uh, like very ahead of their time if you ask me uh, the idea of uh, like the, 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 and there's a studies behind this this is not me just lying like now they have studied people that and why people buy IKEA furniture because now the, 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 the demographics of people buying IKEA furniture is not only students it was intended to be for students that wouldn't use their furniture uh, like after one year or two or whatever, they started to, to change some of the of their product line for also other generations because they understood that people assembling their own stuff gave them like a different kind of closeness to their things or like this, uh, this approach where like, oh, I don't want to get rid of that chair because it costs, like, it's not about the money, it's about the time that I spent uh, building that thing. Uh, so I think they, they hit the, the nail in the head since, since day one. And I'm telling you, examples of that are a um, million. And there, there are brands exactly, specifically in the, in the B2C uh, realm that know their consumers to degrees that are like sometimes a little scary. Sephora knows exactly the type of woman that they are targeting. Uh, another great example, um, and most of the of the new brands that that you are uh, saying, uh, yeah, Peloton it, it had to. But like, if we look at the millennial brands, like for example, let's take Levi's. The way they became what they are today, it's like they were a freaking phoenix resuscitating from from the ashes because Levi's lost momentum until until uh, their new uh, CMO arrived. And that guy made fantastic changes and he got the license to get the name for the stadium here in San Francisco. And when you see the story of these brands of like how he changed and got back the essence of wearing a Levi's uh, pair of jeans, 
that's that's why I love marketing. I, I can't tell you anything else, uh, Nemanja. I, I think I think there's a lot of beauty in marketing, uh, even though a lot of people think it's only people spending money and playing with your mind. For me, it's an art. It's a true art. Well, I can just totally agree. Uh, also, one thing uh, that I like to ask you, like, what are the biggest takeaways that you are seeing right now in like marketing and sales, no matter if it's like B2C or B2B? Oh, whew, that's a good one. Um, <clears throat> because, and it's a good one for me, especially because it's not, I, I didn't work closely with sales all, all my life. And, uh, and that's a true marketing was marketing sales was sales go and do your stuff and everyone it's in in their corners it's been around four years a little more probably probably around five um that i've been working with with sales very closely and the respect for the profession uh i think it's now equal to marketing I, in other places i've said that it's more but i think now it's it's equal because both of them should be focusing up in, in revenue. And I think that the biggest change uh, ties to, to my previous answer. And it's the amount of information that we have now about our consumer is sometimes overwhelming. So the, every, everything shifted uh, early 20s with all, all the marketing, at least on the marketing side, with all the marketing automation tools that it started to, to, to expand and gave us marketing the information that we always wanted. Um, to, to, to be, and, and not only to give you the information, but to be able to track it and to be able to, to build things based on that data. Now, the interesting thing comes, uh, in, the, in, in these years that we are living right now where sales, it's also working with marketing. It's almost like the, the sales person is becoming a marketer and the marketing is, is becoming a salesperson. And there's this kind of mutation about who is a salesperson and who is a marketing person where now there's a new breed, uh, hopefully it's gonna stay that way where both teams understand each other and they use the information that they have for the good purposes. I'm telling you, um, I feel like now it has become a world where not all companies, but a lot of companies are doing their job exactly as they should. Uh, they, they are transparent, you know, leadership, you know, uh, where are the processes in the company? You know exactly uh, if sales are going to give you a pitch just to sell or to actually alleviate your pain. And I think it's, uh, if you ask me, it's the best time to be a marketer and in my case, a designer, because when I mix both of, the, of those things, it's, it's, it's the result is just this fantastic thing where I get to truly understand my audience as if they were my close uh, acquaintances or, or friends or even friends I love that connection uh, so I have additional question like uh, how are things actually aligned uh, in, in in the company you work for like marketing and sales uh, are they like tied to the revenue is like marketing is the one who are. is who is leading or tell me a little bit about the structure Nope. Um, the entire revenue operations model, um, if people decide to believe it, uh, I hope 
one day I'm going to wake up and companies like Coca-Cola, like Red Bull, like the, the, the multi-billion dollar industries are using revenue operations because not only it has been proven to work, but it's here to stay. Um, the alignment happens all the, in, in, in all levels from the strategic where, for exa an example, could be like right now we're planning 2021 uh, budgeting. Uh, the, the, the budget is the revenue budget. It's not like you sales get this and you marketing get this. Is as a revenue team, what do we need? Which positions do we need to fill in? What uh, type of new tools we need to add to our tool stack? Um, how we're going to proceed with the new strategies uh, on the GTM marketing? Uh, uh, because I mean, GTM, that's, that's, that still <laughs> belongs to, to marketing. Um, so it comes from the strategic le uh, level to what you just said, to all the way to reporting. Every single person should be reporting on the same KPIs. Uh, in our case is um, pipeline creation and impact to revenue. Um, and it doesn't matter if you are on the content side or if you are in the AE side or if you are at the head of the marketing, it doesn't matter. Everyone is looking at the same, same, same metrics. That's good. That's good. Uh, cause like most of our clients, like mm -hmm. a marketing or communication person is the, is the one who is like in charge, no matter if you call them like. VP of marketing or CMO or however we call it, but uh, sales and marketing, they are both aligned on the, on the revenue. And yep. it's kind of interesting because like, then you need to get them into conversations every week. They need to share experiences, things that yep. have, they have done. They need to actually talk to each other, which is kind of something that, that, that isn't happening yet. It started to happen in a lot of companies and like, um, I don't know, it's kind of different, like salespeople will know how to do marketing, but marketing more in most cases, uh, well, it's not sales first, uh, department. And so we oftentimes marketers use that as an excuse not to like listen to the sales calls, not, not to get away from the, from the revenue. Like we're going to do our thing. We're going to get you leads from the webinars. We're going to create eBooks. And those kind of things, and those are not actually the things that are getting you the revenue. And if absolutely, and and it goes, it, it's a, it, that's what I'm telling you. It's it's a, it's a two way street, right? Where that's a, that's been the the bickering from from marketing, but then you also have sales coming, some 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 SDRs or BDRs that I, that I've seen that they come expecting marketing to deliver everything in their mouth and almost already chewed. I'm like, it's. No, it's also the, the job of sales to know the pitching, to even create the messaging. Why not? Uh, it's, it's not marketing's job to, to make the sales. Uh, I, I know there's leaders in the industry that think marketing's job is to, to make sales better or to be a supportive point, function for sales. For me, that's one of the biggest uh, lies uh, because it should be, like brothers yes marketing uh you are gonna be listening to all the calls you are gonna be doing prospecting calls because you need to understand that that messaging you need to understand uh, the resistances of your client but you sales you're also gonna come and do your work 
uh, you're gonna do the research on your prospects. You're gonna create the, the content. You're gonna like it, you're, it's not gonna be marketing delivering you all hot leads and then just go and close them. For that, I just need a, a, a closer. I don't need an entire sales team. Uh, but th that's where, where the beauty becomes uh, when, when, when everyone is aligned and when everyone is talking to each other constantly, as you said, uh, that's the way it, it happens. Exactly. And I'm, uh, this is the thing actually that I'm hearing from, from each guest on my podcast, something that I'm saying all the time and uh, they say it and like, I finally don't have to say it myself. So just like this thing that uh, marketing isn't here to help sales uh, sell more, it's, it's another thing. Yeah, that can be one of the outcomes, that can be one of the things that can happen, like, but marketing is uh, actually need to be aligned to the business goals, not to the sales goals. Uh, I mean, sometimes those goals are, are the same, but business goals are much more than just like sales quota and, and those kind of things. And- Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a strategic function. Exactly, exactly. Uh, okay, let's uh, let me let me uh, hear you how you would define funky marketing, because it's kind of interesting. Uh, a lot of people are defining it differently. We even when we started, I heard some people. Now I know that those are like people just who are telling bullshit. Uh, it was only like two of them when we started. They, they tell me like funk is like garbage, you know, that kind of meaning of funk. They found yeah. like, why would you, why would you name the company like funk? Because we didn't mean funk, we meant funky and it's <laughs> totally a different thing. And so, so yeah, what, what would you consider, how would you define like funky marketing? What would be the, the BS in, 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 in marketing? Oh my God. This is a lot of people are going to kill me uh, for this, uh, but I, you know what, I'm very cynical. Um, I think the biggest bullshit about marketing is how people in organizations think and execute on, on the belief that marketing is so easy and it's a fun department that everyone can have uh, very informed according to, to other people and opinionated um, item. Uh, what I mean is you, you, the marketing department does something, uh, a campaign, uh, whatever you want to call it, and then every single person in the organization has an opinion uh, or they know they, or, or they think they can do better than, or they think you can add this or remove this or, and it's so funny to me, and let's call it funky because for example, not even once in my life, I've gone to finance and tell them how to do their jobs. Never. Uh, but in marketing, it seems like everyone has an opinion and everyone, and everyone can be a marketer and everyone can do your job, which is, I mean, after 11 years, I think I have done my piece with not, with not being the, the department that has a recognition. Um, you see it, sales, they close a deal and they fucking ring the, the, the bell. It's ridiculous. Uh, thank God we have marketing attribution now because it's like, sweetie, yeah, you close it, but it wouldn't have ever happened without marketing. So 
maybe you can help me. I, 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 I need a bell in marketing as well. And not because I need the recognition. I am a person that I'm telling you, I was always kind of in the shadows and kind of being in the, in the, in the back end. I like to be the, the person in the back end. Um, even though the spotlight tends to, to be on, on the marketer. Uh, I, I think it needs to stop. Like one thing is if you have an, uh, an idea, one thing is having an idea, bring them all to the table because that's, that's, fee, that's food for marketing. If you have an opinion and if you have a better way or what in your head seems to be a better way of doing things, save them to yourself because there's a reason why you hire a marketer and and you should trust that that person has things under control and that their team are doing the best that they can otherwise it's it's it's, it's very bothersome at some point because it's constant it's not a one-time thing and it has happened to me in every single company that i have worked at uh, because again, you deal with things like brand, you deal with things like design, you deal with things like customer marketing. And there's always gonna, and, and I always quote Mark uh, Robert, former, um, uh, former CRO, CRO at HubSpot, which is, is someone that I admire to the highest level. Um, and once he, he, he told something, and it's stuck in, in, in it stuck in my mind, and now I, I was like, "Hell, that's true." And he said, "If you put give me two people and put them in one room, and you're gonna end up with four opinions." It is very true, and especially in marketing, I'm telling you, this doesn't happen in in, in other functions of, of the of the organization. It doesn't happen in in sales operations. It doesn't happen in marketing. I'm not gonna go to 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 the sales salesforce architects and say like hey i think you should do your job this way because that doesn't make any sense i trust that the person that i hire has things under control again why everyone needs to to be in marketing as like there's too many cooks in in, in the kitchen and that that has been marketing historically so i think that's the biggest uh, bs uh, around the, the profession and let alone the thing that we have the least recognition of the entire company because Marketing can't demonstrate ROI in three months. Marketing is a department that is gonna be seen as a cost first and then as an investment, hopefully. But the, the ROI, it's gonna come later if you are lucky enough to stay with a company at least a year, a year and a half, four years. That's when you're gonna to start to see your, 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 your efforts and your, your fruits kind of becoming trees. Before that, it's really hard to prove things to to the executive team. It is, they need, they need to believe it. And if they don't believe it, sometimes, I mean, you can do things on the side just to show them the way it works and they, they can give results like small thing and like this is from your perspective that how it should go and how it can be. Uh, but like in most of the cases, if they don't believe in marketing, then you don't have anything to do over there as a marketer. If you mm -hmm. cannot actually market to them, also, mm -hmm. you cannot teach them. That's also the job of the, the person who is in charge of marketing in the company. They need to exactly. also teach internal team how to, how to do marketing. I mean, you need to get them interested about, around your product, around your story, around everything else. That's why I'm saying like, we stopped working with companies that don't have clearly defined values and culture and those kind of things. 
mainly because of the way we create demand with the way we work but also the way like you cannot expect somebody to um to include their personal brand their personal profiles into doing certain things for the company if it's not they on their own it. yeah they yeah. need to believe it and you, uh, if you as a ceo tell them to do it that's not going to cut it they need to believe it yeah. before they come to the company they need to get attached to the story and they need to know where they belong inside your and the company story where is their place but exactly yeah. and and you you touch very sensitive fibers to me because this is a a, a topic that has been discussed in my organization where I'm never going to be forcing people to do things on their prof on their personal uh, profiles. And it's been a, an ongoing conversation because I mean, there's no, and this is, this is proven. There's no better, better market mar marketing that, that internal marketing. The problem is I cannot change people's minds, especially when you sell something as complex as revenue operations. It's a methodology. It's a service. It's something that, it takes time to understand. I can't be the person to say it's in your job description to share everything that the company, I, I, I can't be that person. And I don't think I will ever be. Like if, if people are not passionate by themselves for the roles that they are playing in the organization, there was something wrong also in recruitment because then they didn't understand the company or they are not in the company for the right reasons, um, which is one of the toughest part of parts of, of marketing, I would say, like your clients, they already sold, they, you already sold them, they already trusted you. But your internal people, it's really, really hard. And as you grow, it gets worse because it's what I'm telling you, like a lot of people are there just to do their jobs and that's it. They, they don't care about the values, they don't care, they care about the paycheck and that's it. And those people, you need to accept that not everyone is going to be a, a, an ally in your internal marketing efforts and that that is okay and that it is what it is. And a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah, and, and uh, I had this specific situation exactly when I first uh, became the GM because I was like the people, the, the person who came the latest to the company and the first one to become the GM ever of the, of the company. And there were a lot of people that weren't like very satisfied with that there were a lot of people that uh were didn't want to to move ahead in their careers in their jobs they were just satisfied to come and work like for eight hours and yeah. stop working and i needed to understand that that's okay if they are doing a fair job that's okay there are not everybody needs to uh, to learn and move forward as i am uh, but also then me as a gm I need to think if I want those kind of people in the company, is that aligned to what we as a company want to achieve? You know, it's all connected. Every, every little dot is, is connected with it. And um, I've been in the situation that you are telling me about uh, in the previous companies and I saw the way things can be done and the way things can be done. So, so now I'm, I'm going in a different way and I learn a lot of things. And that's why like, what I'm trying to do right now is like trying to get emotions, feelings, people first in B2B and kind of change, change the whole narrative because like it's, it's not changing if somebody don't go in there and actually change, change specific things, move, move things uh, on the board. Uh, so uh, tell me, tell me, tell me, uh, I think 
enough talking about business. So what are some things outside of the business that we don't talk enough? Uh, I would say mental health is, is fairly open, uh, at least in the US. Uh, parts of, 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 of America, Central America, South America. But I think, honestly, with, with the pandemic hitting the Maya, I, I believe we're going to hit the, the hardest and probably the toughest um, um, mental health um, um, stage or era or whatever we want to call that in the human history. We are becoming very clumsy again. Social skills, I've said these repeatedly, they are a muscle and you need to exercise them. And when they take them away from you, a lot of problems are gonna happen and companies are not talking about that enough. Uh, I mean, I, I could also say immigration, but uh, that's kind of a cliche coming from a Mexican and leadership and whatever. But it's also very true, like nobody talks about, hey, how, what's the road? to success staying in the, in the, in the U.S. being a, an immigrant. Uh, nobody talks about that, but especially right now, I think our attention as leaders, if you have a, a position of power in any organization, please, please make sure that you talk about how much uh, your workers are sleeping, if they are being in contact with other humans, if they are getting out, uh, a lot of people are just getting more and more gadgets in, in order to do the inside experience more bearable. That's not the way to go. This is not the time to binge on Netflix and eat whatever you fucking want. This is not the time because the time where we find hopefully our new normal normality, the world is going to need strong humans. And by strong humans, I mean, it starts with your mind. And it starts with, yes, uh, with your body as well. So if you have never treated your, your body well enough in the sense of like what you eat, if you exercise, if you sleep, like those things, start doing it now. Start making company programs to make this happen because it's not about, hey, buy another TV, buy another uh, video game console. That's going to destroy you and we are gonna need to be there for each other so what i wanna i wanna be around humans that are anti-fragile and that are and that have succeeded in you know what it was tough it was tough, a tough so far a tough year i don't know if it's gonna be tough years uh, but what i wanna be and what i hope for is that when we come out of this and we go back to the concerts please god um, or to, to any type of social interactions, that we are around strong humans and around people that, that are healthy in their minds and that they feel, if not happy, because that's a very subjective definition, but I want to be around confident humans. Yeah, that's, so, that's a powerful topic to talk about. I, I was just last week or it was two weeks ago i was talking with with one of my employees and he got covid and yep. i i told him like yeah disconnect for everything from everything like i i don't need you we don't need you so 
uh, go ahead, recover, like don't go over LinkedIn, add comments, like all those kind of things, like gather the energy to fight the disease, everything, and like come back when you are ready, when you are strong, and let's, let's do it like this. I don't want to hear from you until you, you go through, through everything. I would just call to see like how things are going, are you okay? Uh, but like, I'm, I'm that kind of guy, you know, like uh, I, I want, I'm always telling the people like, uh, think about, about uh, how do you gather energy to actually do creative work if you're doing it. It's outside of the work where you find it. Also like yeah. uh, try to do things, I mean, you know, like you don't need to use car to go to work every day. Like you can ride a bicycle. Whoa. I do that. Yeah. That's how I listen to podcasts and uh, like all kind of small things that, that get us into the mindset where we can perform and be uh, like, do the job that we love in, in a way. And, and not only that, when we are doing the job that we love the right way, then we have the energy and everything else and we can be satisfied in life overall, not only connected to the business. Right. And, and, and I think that the business could be, I mean, this is where I could disagree with you, uh, Nemanja. Business for me could be the last priority. Uh, yes, maintain your business. Yes, be effective. Don't, don't, be, don't take the pandemic as an excuse to not perform your job because businesses need to stay afloat. But my point is to the personal level, I think organizations, we need to, and, and, and I say we because I am, I am lucky enough to be uh, part of an, an executive team. And with that comes the worrisome for our employees. And uh, I think organizations need to become almost caregivers more than ever, because think about it, a kid, uh, a child, they need help to understand their emotions, to understand the new sensations that like with new textures, when you take them to the park, that's what we are gonna become. And possibly your family is gonna be struggling with their own things. So what if we could dream about organizations that help people to the humane level in the sense of, okay, how do I, how do I, an example, there's right now people that are very depressed that have never experienced depression in their lives. How, how do they even label them? How do they manage that? They've never, they, they don't know the feeling. It's something unknown. Uh, for me, I'm telling you, I, I've been dealing with, with mental uh, health issues. I mean, not issues because for me, it's actually a propeller. It's, it's my best friend, my, my anxiety. But uh, but what about the people that don't know, that they, they don't know where to go, they don't know who to talk to, they don't know what to do, they don't know that it's okay to perform 80% uh, of your capacity because you just feel something inside you. We don't talk about that, nobody cares about that. And organizations are gonna need to be that place to go. If you want employees that are still effective, you're gonna need employees that are in the right, that are sane, that, 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 are, that have their sanities. Um, so yeah, it, it's a topic that I'm very passionate about. Unfortunately, not, not a lot of people um, are. So I'm happy that you provide me this, this space to say that. Yeah, we're both, both passionate, passionate about it. And, and we agree on everything. We don't disagree on, on none of the <laughs> things. Uh, 
Yeah, so tell me, uh, as we, as we are, are going uh, near the end, I have two questions for the end. First one is, uh, what are two things that you would double down in, in 2021, having all these COVID circumstances in mind and like having some bold prediction for what's going to happen in the next year? I, as I told you, I, I, I am pursuing a PhD uh, precisely in, in psychology or sociology, I don't know. And I am doubling down on understanding more on how to help uh, my teams and, and the teams of any organization on going back to that new normality because I, I, I know, I know for sure it's going to be tough and I know we're not going to be prepared. So I am some, someone that has done introspective work all my life simply because I've been very solitary and very in myself and, and I'm very comfortable being alone and like that type of thing. And I think 2021 is going to be the opportunity for me to open that side that has always been hidden because I didn't see the need. And, and now I want, I want to double down on that. I want to double down on, on creating um, safer humans. Sounds good. Uh, do you have any message or anything you want to say for the end, for the audience that we might uh, missed or we didn't talk about or just something that you want to recommend to the people? Um, I think we, we, we covered plenty, but I, I would just reinforce the messaging on if, uh, if you're feeling that you are not um, uh, as productive as you were one week ago, five months ago, one day ago, be compassionate with yourself and understand that it's totally okay. Just be sure to talk to your manager and say, say the things that you are going through. I, that, that would be my biggest advice, not for people in, 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 in SAS or PASS, but for every single person that is lucky enough to keep their jobs. Um, be transparent about it. And, um, and, uh, and, and that's it. So be my guest and tell people where they can reach out to you, where they can find more information about you, have a conversation, engage, whatever. Of course, uh, they can find me on, on LinkedIn, Lorena Morales. Um, and then my Twitter handle is at Morales Lorena SF. I'm always available. Just shoot me a message and I will be happy to talk about anything that we cover here or other things. Thanks. Thank you one more time for, for taking the time to, to join me here and to have a conversation about these, these different topics. Namaja, it's been my pleasure. Uh, I know, I know for, for you it's, uh, it's late. I am very happy that uh, for me it was 6 a.m. Uh, not that I care because I am actually always uh, up at 5, but uh, these are the things that get me going and, and you just gave energy to my entire week. So thank you for that. Uh, happy to hear that. Thank you.